Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Why don't we go ahead and pray? Oh, okay, there we go. Yeah, let's pray. And then the title of today's session is uh, Pastoring Men. And uh, let's ask for the Lord's help. Lord Jesus, we need help. We need wisdom, as we always do, not just when we're opening your word. We need wisdom with all of life, any decision we make. We need wisdom with. And so I'm asking that you to give us wisdom in our lives and wisdom right now as we hear from you. Help us to uh, respond well and help us to be challenged. And uh, I trust, God, that you're going to that you're going to lead us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 3, first few verses. Subtitle to this, Pastoring Men, and only certain men can be pastors. So not just only men can be pastors, only certain men can be pastors. Here's what 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7 says. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, so crucial, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. I mean, this is the home, training ground. That's where pastoral ministry comes alive. Manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone cannot know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become uh, puffed up and conceited and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into the disgrace, into the snare of of the devil. Okay, Um, when we start to think about questions about, about men and pastoring men, and I'm still on this journey with you guys, as I stated last night. but So when we think about who is a man and what does a man do, you guys have heard me if you've been listening to the podcast or just been around me. I, I talk about this somewhat regularly, but something that's applicable to every man found in these six words, the identity of a man and the mission of a man. So you have who, who a man is and what a man does in these six words, identity and then the function. Uh, you Worship, work, protect, provide, lead, love. When I ask Ransom, who is a man, what does a man do? A man worships, works, protects, provides, leads, and loves. And these, you can find these, you think about these words and the themes from the scriptures. You think about a worshiper. We've all been created by Jesus, for Jesus. Through him, all things have been created. Uh, and they, are, they exist for him. So we exist for Jesus. As men, we're created in the, in the image of God to be worshipers of God. And so worship, work, this is the fundamental identity of uh, the man in, the, in Genesis chapter 1 through 3. A man is a worker so he's built to work and to cultivate and to build, protect, provide, lead, and love. And within these categories, we find just, for me, helpful tools and handles on what it is we're trying to do within the life of, of the men within our church and within our families if we have little, little boys growing up in our homes. And so first, before we get back to that, we're going to come back around to that. So I just kind of wanted to put that in your mind, those six words as categories to think through um, when we're thinking about preaching and discipling men. 
And I want to come back to that. But first, I want us to be reminded again about who it is that can be a pastor. Because we talked a little bit about the differences between male and female, not just in the, the way of order, but in the way of function and abilities that God has created the male and female with different functions and abilities and built us and wired us in different ways. But when we begin to think, okay, who can be a pastor? We, we get back to the, the, the female issue again, but also specifically um, categories within what it means to be a man. Like there's different types of men as well. Okay, we're all men, but there's different types of men in the church and in the world. And so Jesus, if you notice, Jesus regularly is getting in trouble in the New Testament because he is breaking religious and social norms. Okay, so he's obeying God's law perfectly, both the letter and the spirit of the law. So the head and the heart, the external and the internal of the law, he's obeying. But he's not obeying the Mishnah, He's not obeying the Talmud. He's, he's going and breaking against the traditions of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyers and the scribes. And he's breaking cultural norms. And it's something that he's not really all that concerned about. The, the, the laws of man, he could really care less about. He cares about honoring his heavenly Father. And so when we think about what Jesus does when he picks the 12 apostles, just 12 men from the same region, um, we see that Jesus clearly wasn't woke. Like, he just really wasn't woke. He didn't really care. He didn't, it, there was no affirmative action. There was no, there was none of that. It was the men he wanted to come with him, and it was a ragtag group, um, blue collar, younger, most likely, fishermen, just everyday guys that knew how to sit, sit around a fire and hang out and talk and shoot the breeze. And, you know, uh, somebody's passing some gas and they're laughing about it. Normal guys, okay? And Jesus chooses these 12 apostles. And think about, think about in, in light of that, the implications. Like what, what kind of statements he could have made by getting people from different regions and getting both man, male and female to come and follow him as an apostle, as one of the 12 disciples. Think about the implications that, think about in the modern narrative what Jesus should have done with the people he picked. Okay? And then think about what Jesus actually did. And then ask, is Jesus the smartest person who's ever lived, or is he not? Does he know exactly what he's doing? Is it calculated? We know that he prayed all night long the night before, going and choosing his disciples. And so there's intention there. And as we see in the life of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus did, did things for women that nobody else did. He welcomed them to learn from him. He commissioned them with the gospel after he was resurrected. You go, you, you're an evangelist here. You go tell people. Go tell the, the disciples. He commissioned them to be on mission. The Great Commission is for ladies. Ladies were to sit at his feet and to learn from him and to follow him. And the way he treated women was fantastic. It was wonderful. It was right. And he rightly shows us the equality of women. But he wasn't trapped by those cultural expectations and norms, and he wasn't trapped by 2020 cultural expectations and norms. And so um, Jesus did it right. He got it right. And we should follow him in those decisions. So he chose 12 men from one region of the world from the same ethnic group, from the same ethnic group. Okay. Now, certainly the lineages, you could go back, they probably were, um, you know, there's a mix there, but they're all generally same region, same area. And Jesus didn't travel from what we know more than 60 miles in like this diameter or circumference, whatever uh, the difference is uh, around. He was very local, like he didn't, he wasn't a world traveler. And then when we think about 
um, the type of men that were chosen, and then the list of qualifications in First Timothy chapter three and Titus chapter one. The men that he commissions are a certain type of men. In other words, the prohibitions are not just as we talked about last night, given to ladies in this leadership role, in this elder role, in this elder role, in this commission. The prohibitions are also given to a vast majority of men that are not allowed to be elders. Okay. They're not allowed to be elders for very specific reasons. But when we read 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, I think this is something that we every single man should aspire to. Every single woman in an appropriate female way with these characteristics, we're talking about character, should be striving for these characteristics as well. This is something that's good for everybody. And as you go through these, a man has to aspire to the office of elder. That's the first qualification is an aspiration, a healthy aspiration for it. And I think we've all seen unhealthy aspirations for leadership where I want leadership because I want power. And that type of man gets that kind of power and he uses it to crush others and eventually he crushes himself with it. And so if you have unhealthy aspirations for leadership um, and you want that leadership for eyes to be upon you and for ears to be listening to you, then you're setting yourself up for and anybody who does end up following you, one of two things happens. Most likely two things will happen unless that man is broken by the Lord. He's going to crush everybody that follows him because it's not follow me as I follow Christ. It's follow me because I'm the leader. And then secondly, he's going to end up crumbling under the, the weight of him being his own savior. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just inevitable. And I think we see that in the lives of so many pastors. We hear about pastors failing and falling all the time. And so, and burnout all the time. Where burnout is just kind of this thing that we know we're heading to it. It's just almost inevitable. It's just out there. It's probably going to happen when I'm about 45 years old and my kids are teenagers and it's just sitting there waiting for me. And I think if that is like some sort of unspoken expectation of pastoral ministry, that at some point over the 30, 40 years, you're probably not going to be a pastor anymore. You're probably going to be done and you're probably going to be burned out and you're going to need about seven or eight years to recover. And then you'll you know, figure out some healthy patterns of existence and figure out how to do this thing a little bit more sustainable after seven or eight years of, of taking some time off and you'll maybe get back into this thing. Um, if, that's the, if that's the unspoken expectation and whether, friends, this, that's the norm. Like most pastors don't finish pastoring. They start and they don't finish. Like just, just statistically speaking, you look at the numbers, like if we all finish here, finish and get to formal retirement age and haven't burned out, lost our families, the, the burnout rate is unbelievable. I mean, the statistics are staggering how many pastors burn out and don't make it. They just get taken out or just, or just wash their hands with it and say, I'm done. So the things that we're talking about here and what I want to continue to give is I want you to build sustainable ministries. Like this is healthy for my family. My children are not going to have to recover from me being gone all the time and from me loving the church more than loving them. There's a way if we do this, there's a, Andy and I were talking about Proverbs yesterday. There's a way to, to exist as an elder and as a pastor that is sustainable and healthy for your family, for you, and for the congregation. But to do it that way, to, to exist in that way, congregations also have to be trained up because they've seen pastors, many of them for years, who have made themselves so available that they're more available for the congregation than they are their family. And so by function of pastoral ministry over the last 50, 60, 70 years, however old your people are and however they grew up, whatever expectations they've had, they have been catechized by the behaviors of the previous pastors. And most of the previous pastors they've had have not had healthy lives, to be honest. They've had healthy aspects, but holistically they've not had healthy lives. 
And so you see that in the train wreck that's behind them or the burnout stories they have or the moral failure stories they have or, you know, their kids that hate their guts now. I mean, there's this, these stories all around. So churches have these expectations and we have to, over the years, exist in such a way where our life and the way we're existing is catechizing them. They're catching, oh, this is healthy and sustainable pastoral ministry. It was weird for the first five years. But then I finally saw this, they're healthy that this this family is a family that loves Jesus and loves each other, and it, this pastor is not one who's running around with his hair on fire all the time. Okay, so there's a way to do this: aspire healthy aspiration. We have to have a healthy burden, not just to lead God's people, but to serve God's people. Where we're seeing this role, and we're saying, okay, how can I give my life to this group of people to see that they flourish? Not how can I get this group of people on board with the vision that I have. It's a totally different understanding of pastoral ministry. So it's a noble task. First Timothy 3 tells us it's a noble task. And then he, he, in the context of exclusively male, okay, now this is, okay, now we've got a category here. This is male. This is for males. But then we have commissions and restrictions given underneath the whole category of male. Now, every male up to this point is, uh, is an option here. Okay, there's, there's a pool of every man that's ever existed that's a Christian, obviously a prerequisite. But then when this list of characteristics is given, we be, the, the pool begins to shrink. Okay, and this is the kind of men that God calls us to be and to, to continue to become because we never fully arrive here. Okay, about these expectations in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, these should be, people in your church should be quicker to affirm your characteristics here than you are to affirm these characteristics about yourself. There always should be a, a simple, like when we're thinking about giving self-evaluation, there always should be humility in saying, you know what, of everybody, everybody in the world, I know myself the best and I know that I'm not the best. I know that I desperately need Jesus. And I think about this, it's it's same thing with humility where others recognize humility about you. But as soon as you're just like running around claiming like, if I go around and say, guys, I'm the most humble man I've ever met. I'm just telling you here, you know, Moses was the only one who could ever say that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the only one that wasn't wrong when he said it. But for all, all the rest of us, if I read, I tell you what, you'll never meet a more humble man than me. Is that not the weirdest thing that anybody could ever say? I mean, that's just, just an odd thing to say. The characteristics like this, others should be able to assess, okay, this is the, you're this kind of man. So when we go through those qualifications, in the whole context being exclusively male, the husband of one wife, this gender-specific calling, it's not just a male, it's a qualified male. Okay. Now, most men are not qualified for this position because of their character. So it's m- women and men who are not qualified are prohibited from this noble calling. But for those who get called into this and have a healthy aspiration for it and meet this qualification and have a congregation around them that put their stamp of approval and say, you're that kind of man, okay? This is a noble, noble task. And you think about a noble man and a noble calling. What else? There's no other calling in all the scriptures that are called, that's called noble. Nothing, okay? Now, since you have, I have talked to most of you, we all know that greater callings for a pastor is being a Christian, a son of God, a child of God. There's nothing more precious than that. There's nothing more amazing than that. And as soon as a man, a pastor forgets that, and he, he in his mind, becomes a pastor first, everything, the cards, the decks, it's, everything's about to fall and crumble. So these callings, Christian, husband, father, pa- uh, friend, and pastor, like if you are a husband, if you are a father, these things are so precious, okay? But 
All those things are wonderful, and I think they're higher and greater callings, but specifically, God calls pastoral ministry noble. And in a world that's lost a frame of reference for anything that is noble, I think we should tune our ears and can really consider this noble calling. We should be cultivating an environment where, where little boys grow up wanting to be elders, longing, like aspiring to this, where I want my son's sons. I don't care if you're formally like a, like a lead pastor somewhere on staff at a church, but I want you, by the grace of God, I want both of my sons to be elders to be qualified and everybody around them to easily be sa- to say that is a first Timothy three Titus one man right there. Like it's, it's clear these guys, wherever they go, whatever church they are, if they're just observed for a little while, they recognize th- those are God's men and they're called to this. So there's clear conclusions. Only qualified men are called to be pastors. Now, if pastoral ministry, as we know it can be done by men or um, by if, if pastoral ministry, as we know it c- could be done by women or unqualified men, then we're not understanding pastoral ministry right. Toby Sumter helped me understand this. If we have such a feminized version of what pastoral ministry is, where it's drinking coffee face-to-face with each other, it's, it's, it's grieving with people, it's just caring for people here and there, and it's just, it's just doing anything that people ask of us. It's just all service all the time. It's just serve, 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 serve. Then we're not understanding the side of pastoral ministry that is fight the wolves, reprove with all authority, rebuke. We're not understanding the things that require us to get in the faith. You know, you guys, one of the first things I appreciated about Andy is that he, we're driving up to, uh, to, to going to eat together and I was ranting and raving about some girl in our church that said something mean to Jordan or something like that. I forget exactly what it was. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She so, said something really wildly inappropriate. And it was just like, off, you know, just off the cuff, just talking. And, uh, you know, like a couple days later, Andy's like, hey, I need to talk to you for a minute. Can you meet me in my office here in a little bit? I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, skipping in there. And he's like, uh, hey, you didn't help your wife and you spoke sinfully about that woman. And I was like, okay. You know, he was right. He was absolutely right. I appreciated that. Where's Garrett? We've had some pretty frank conversations about stuff. Okay. And I hate having a conversa- hard conversation. Andy and I have had some frank conversations where I've had to speak some hard things to you and some difficult things to Garrett and, and to anybody else. Ryan, too, I'm always talking about smoking, telling him he's killing himself. And a uh, hard conversation with Ryan. And they're not fun. I don't like them. I hate them. And I used to avoid any conversation in conf- of confrontation. I just would avoid it because I didn't like it. And with Garrett, to talk to him about anything, I know that he can kick the crap out of me. So I'm like, man, if I say the wrong thing, I know he wouldn't, but there's, it, there's, there, it, they're just not fun to have. And over the years, what God has continued to build in me is like, okay, you just have to do it. It's just, it's not a matter of whether you want to or not. Pastoral ministry requires like confrontation. You have to do this. If you're going to be a friend with anybody, a true friend, you're going to have to learn how to confront stuff. And if you're going to be in pastoral ministry, you're going to have to confront the men at your church. And you're going to have to be open for men to come and confront you. It's just a part of life. And if, if pastoral ministry is just about avoiding stuff and p- putting out fires rather than starting fires, if all pastoral ministers, I'm just putting out fires, everybody who's mad, I'm just going around setting out fires, that is not the work we're called to at all. There's times that we do have to put out fires from foolishness, people quarreling about dumb stuff. But we are to start fires and start, con- we are to contend, we are to fight, we are to, rebru- to reprove somebody is to start a fire. That's to, that is to start something. I'm initiating this. It has to, be, has to be done. 
So if pastoral ministry could be done by women or unqualified men, we don't understand all the aspects of pastoral ministry, okay? Again, I know this sounds wrong to our ears. It's like, gosh, that just sounds so weird to modernly tuned ears. And so now, okay, think through with me um, how to pastor men. We'll have a, a quick dialogue about it here in a minute. How to pastor men. We're going to get back to these, these, qualific- or these, uh, these characteristics here. Okay, worship, work, protect, provide, lead, love. That's who a man is and what a man does, okay? Um, we could put verses beside all these, but for the sake of time, we're going to move through this pretty quick. Um, masculine versus feminine discipleship, okay? Masculine versus feminine discipleship. Um, women generally like face-to-face conversations. They like, how you doing? Um, tell me what's going on. There's a, there is a broad stroke general way that women talk to each other that's different than men, okay? They, they enjoy sipping coffee with one another. And I enjoy coffee and sitting at a coffee shop and talking to guys too. That's fine. But again, Toby Sumper, to drop his name again, he helped me with this. He talked about how men... Like men do better with side-to-side discipleship. And it got me thinking about, uh, two years ago, the first book I read of the year was Dallas and the Spitfire. It was a book about discipleship over rebuilding a car together. This uh, ex-con and this pastor started working. This guy just got out of prison and they started working. He started working with Dallas. And on the, it was a Spitfire kind of car. It's a kind of car, okay? Started rebuilding this car together. Once a week, they just got made it their project. They bought this junky car together and they just started fixing this car up. And then about a year ago, I said, you know what? Coffee's great. Talking with people in my office is great. But if it's a, I, and I only disciple dudes. So it's like, if, there, if it's a clear day outside, forget coffee. We're going fishing and, or we're shooting the bow and we're getting, we're going to, we're going to spend time doing side to side stuff. Now, the hard part is Brandon and I have done this a ton. I've, I've shot a bow with Garrett and don't ever shoot a bow with Andy because he can't hit anything um, and he'll lose all your arrows. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I've lost like five or six in my yard too. So me as well. Um, the hard part about this now, is you think about discipling men, you go on a 50 mile walk with them, bring a guy, Reed, say, don't tell him what he's getting into, but Reed, you're coming with me. You might die. Um, you bring Reed with you, you bring, you know, whoever with you, you go on a walk. And you start doing side to side. Now, the hard thing is pairing intentionality with it because when you're doing face to face, it's easier just because the conversation, you just want to get the material. It's easier to drink coffee and talk about raising a modern day night, raising sons, which is what Brandon and I started doing. Now, the hard part, the, the, the practicum beside this could be how do you make it intentional as you're going fishing together and not just shooting the breeze? Because Garrett and I will go fishing and I really enjoy just hanging out. But it's also like when you're adding layers of discipleship, too, and you can catch discipleship stuff from each other. You know, like how somebody how be somebody uh, is spending time with just watching people, you know, you can, you can discipleship. Godliness can be caught, you know, in ways, but also it needs to be taught. And so comparing like like combining side to side discipleship masculine discipleship uh you know when joey takes me out hunting he's there's i'm picking up things from him he's discipling me okay like i'm i'm learning from him pairing that with intentionality can be very difficult but we and that's what i'm struggling with is combining both but when i started doing that side to side discipleship here's the deal pastoral ministry it becomes a lot more fun like it becomes a lot more fun I mean, you can drink a ton of good coffee, but man, going out and catching a fish with a guy, and it's real work because you're really building relationships that go deeper than, than just sitting and talking to somebody, looking at each other and just talking. 
So it becomes really, really fun. I love, man, I'm looking forward today because now I'm shooting a bow later on, I know, and I'm going fishing with three guys. The other day, I had three fishing meetings in a row. So all afternoon, I fished with these guys, and it was great. It just was fishing. So when you're doing that, thinking about building these men up and, and training men as you're doing side-to-side activities can be a really great thing. One other thing that Brandon and I do is we do projects. So we kind of had the honey-do list. I said, well, why don't I help you on one and why don't you help me on one? And we went back and forth. Mark, this would work really well for you with all the work Valerie gives you uh, is you could get somebody, get Eric over there uh, and you guys, are not Eric, uh, Reed over there and, uh, and he can help you with all the projects you got and then you can help Reed with the projects that his wife gives him or that he has. Um, so think through this. Now, so side by side generally works better for men. Now, let me just ask you guys this. Would you rather have coffee with me or would you rather go fishing with me or do a computer game with me? Are we in a canoe? <laughs> Who is that you, for? you know what I mean? Okay. So like if you're doing something together side by side, you guys get the point. Okay. You get the point. So Masculine discipleship. Now, masculine pulpit. Okay. Now, discipling men from the pulpit. So, discipling side by side, but then discipling from the pulpit. The passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 4 reprove, rebuke with all authority. Okay. We're doing that. When we preach as preachers, here's the deal. And it's got to be authentic. Don't, don't be somebody you're not. I'm not talking about getting up there and now you're, you're I'm not talking about trying to appear authoritative. I'm not, I'm, I'm just saying, Preach with authority. And the way you preach with authority is let the word speak and don't apologize. Some of the, you know, like there are, there are guys that are not that Owen Strand is not a very masculine dude. I mean, he's like five foot three talks kind of with a lisp, you know, and he's just a guy. I know I'm not that strong of a guy, but I could kick the crap out of him. You know what I mean? But he speaks with authority because he's a man who's not ashamed of the word. One of the reasons I love Eugene Peterson, even though I disagree with him, he's an, he's an egalitarian and he's soft on some homosexuality issues. One of the reasons I appreciate him, though, is that he doesn't care. He is a principled man, and he was saying stuff about megachurches in the 80s and 90s because he was convicted. He was a man who, is, who has all of his opinions. And all his, he's, he's a man driven by the word, even though he's wrong in some pretty big categories. He's driven by the word, and he doesn't care if he makes you upset. He just didn't. He's dead now. He doesn't care. He didn't care if his books, he didn't care if his, his sermons, he didn't care if, and he wasn't intentionally trying to make people upset, but he was a man of authority because he was a man who said, hey, here's what the scriptures say, okay? <laughs> Even if he was wrong on some stuff. So preach with authority, preach with backbone. As we talked about like last night, don't be scared of people. Like when we're, when we're, when we're afraid, when we're coming up on a text and we're, where we're walking into the pulpit afraid, what are we afraid of if we're speaking God's word here? Like, God has us. He has us in that position to preach his word authoritatively. If we don't preach it authoritatively, we're not preaching it right. We may have been textually accurate, but we have dishonored God. So if we're going to disciple men from the pulpit, we're going to be men that are known for being unapologetic. Like, I know he'll be a straight, straight shooter. He's going, to t- he's going to say it how it is in the scriptures and he's not going to apologize, and he's not going to tiptoe. He's not going to be this kind of preacher walking on eggshells, okay? Um, and then, again, because I think it's so crucial to, 
Rep- repetition can be so helpful. Never, ever, ever apologize for God. Ever. Like, just don't ever apologize for God. Um, that's not who we are. That's not who God's men are. Just don't apologize for God. Um, fear God instead. Don't fear the people in the congregation. Like, don't, don't fear confronting a situation that needs to be confronted. Okay? Don't fear walking into a cesspool business meeting that you know is going to be terrible and bring what's needed whether people agree with it or not. Like, don't scare... You're going into a snake pit. There's some business meetings. Mark's probably been a part of them. Uh, sounds like Justin's probably been a part of Probably you guys have been a part of, of, of business meetings. And you know that it's, it, there's one way this could go where the fires are put out and, and as many people as possible are appeased. Or I could go in here and blow this thing up by bringing what actually needs to be brought. And there's so often where we trust ourselves more than the Holy Spirit here. And it's so easy to just bring what's going to appease the most amount of people. Because you just don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with phone calls. I don't want to deal with Bertha. I don't want to deal with, you know, Donald and, you know, Horace Mosby that Phil Nelson had to deal with down at First Baptist Jonesboro. I don't want to have to deal with it. Um, we have to be men that do the right thing and are not scared. And if we're going to be men that, that, that disciple men, there's gonna, the men in your church have to respect you. And if you're cowardly, the men in your church will not respect you. They just won't, unless they're cowards. Um, the first people thrown in the lake of fire are the cowards. The first one, as for the cowards, the sexually immoral, the cowards are the first people thrown in the lake of fire. We don't get that option, just like we don't get the option of being ashamed of God's word. Fear God instead of man. Pastoral ministry is not for unqualified men. It's not for men. It's, call, it's for the qualified men whom God calls. Maybe for some of you guys here, most of us are in pastoral ministry. Most of it, Some of you here may have even lost your love or appetite for, for ministry. And just, you just kind of burned out even already. And man, I pray that this time, even as we're at the end of this thing, thinking about getting home, thinking about Lambert's, thinking about praising God for, uh, even for yesterday, let's go home with a passion and a fire and a courage given from God because we fear Him and we don't fear people. And we go and do what needs to be done. What needs to be done. Not through what needs to be done, cultural 2020 mumbo jumbo. But what needs to be done by God's men and God's word. What he's, what's he commissioned us to do? Let's go home and do that. And let's do that unapologetically. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.